I got my teeth cleaned this week. Then I was asking the hygienist how it was going with the global pandemic and all. And she was like, just yesterday, somebody stole two face masks from the counter right there. And so I was like, do you know who? And she was like, yeah, she knew exactly who because she caught her red-handed and the woman wasn't sorry at all. Wouldn't give the mask back. I mean, there's a national shortage, but still. I heard about this woman, Kim, who decided a couple weeks ago to buy some face masks for her mom. Her mom works in a home caring for the elderly and face masks are recommended for people like her mom. Kim went shopping for some. CVS, sold out. Rite Aid, sold out. Target, sold out. She called pharmacies around town in Northern California where she lives. No luck until she reached this one woman. She said they were sold out, and then she paused for a second, and then she said, well, I have a stash at home. I might be able to sell you some masks. Let me call you after work. Wait, and so suddenly it's like you're doing an illegal drug deal or something over a mask? (laughs) Kind of felt that way. So I called her after work. We set up a time and place, and we met the following day in front of the Safeway next to the glacier water bottle vending machine. Wait, wait, that's what she said? She said, okay, we're going to meet in front of the Safeway in front of the glacier bottle vending machine? Yes. I found her easily, gave her the cash, got the box, said thank you. uh, Describe the actual physical transaction. Now, when you handed her the cash, was it a kind of like your hand was over top of the cash so someone else (laughs) couldn't see it and she palmed it away from you? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) The woman asked for $100 for 10 masks. Kim talked her down to 70. Regular price would be a dollar per mask. Maybe two. And she told me that she had two boxes left. So if I wanted more, I could come back. I work at a local co-op here in Seattle, Washington called PCC Community Markets. Just a, a little bit different clientele. They're kind of like a Whole Foods clientele, a little more particular Cameron works in the produce department, and he's cashier. Washington State, you may know, has more cases than any other state. Most of them are around Seattle. So the co-op started selling out of toilet paper, beans, flour, hand sanitizer, when this first hit the news. It's been pretty tense. Very just on edge. A lot of people are upset that we don't have hand sanitizer wipes for our carts. Um, I've had a few customers... uh, vocally yell at me uh, because of how I was touching their cans when I was checking them out at the register. Like this one guy who had a lot of cans. It was a kombucha energy drink. I can't remember the exact brand. He probably had like a couple dozen. Some of them had fallen over and I'd grabbed the top of the can uh, versus the bottom of the can when scanning it, which... I mean, I can understand, but at the same time, I I probably wasn't the first person to touch that can, so. What'd they say to you? Uh, he just wanted me to be aware of what I was doing. It took me a minute to understand what he was saying because he was so frustrated. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but paraphrasing, he was asking me in a pretty passive-aggressive way why I'm touching the cans the way I am. Somehow that's exactly what I would have pictured. I'm picturing sort of Fred Armisen in Portlandia. <laughs> You're so spot on. It's gross right now. 
He was wearing glasses, uh, for sure, and some sort of fleece. But he was just telling me how I, I need to be touching the cans without touching the tops. And, yeah. Some people have more to fear than others right now, I think. Like Jasmine Reese. She works at Los Angeles Airport, LAX, cleaning out planes after they land, including international flights. Coronavirus became a very real thing to her over a month ago when a plane arrived from Hong Kong. As I'm getting on the plane and I see first class business, I'm walking down and I'm seeing like coworkers with face masks and I'm like, what's going on? Why everybody have a face mask? They're like, oh, because of the virus. It's the virus and we have to clean this plane. This is one of the planes that, you know, this is Hong Kong. Like, and I'm like, oh, let me go downstairs and go get me one because keep in mind that I'm five months pregnant. And did they have face masks? Were you able to get one? Yeah, but we don't have them every day. And we work every day, but we're kind of low on supply. So meaning that we may not have face masks every day. We may not have gloves every day. There have been days since the virus when you went in and you had to clean a plane without a mask? Yeah, there's plenty, there's, there's plenty of days that we get on there and we don't have no mask. There's plenty of times we get on there and we don't have masks and gloves. One job the crew does, they reach deep into garbage bags on the plane and pull out the garbage by hand. Jasmine cleans American Airlines planes. She works for a contractor called Jetstream Ground Services. A number of Jetstream employees have been quoted in the press saying the same thing about gloves and masks that Jasmine says. We reached out to a spokesperson for the company, Eric Rose. He said in emails, quote, We are at a loss as to why the employees are making these false claims. Jetstream Ground Services has always had an abundant supply of safety equipment for all employees to fulfill their daily assignments. End quote. Just this week, the Service Employees International Union started distributing masks and gloves to workers like Jasmine and LAX, saying Jetstream has not properly provided them. The day I talked to Jasmine, two people who work at LAX had at that point tested positive with the virus. Jasmine thought one of them worked at Terminal 7. So if you have a person all the way down at 7, then got sick, and then now they're saying a person, I think, from Terminal 5 was sick, we're at 4. So yeah. we're right next to a person that, you know, could have possibly came to the food court at our terminal. And, you know, you just never know. Do you feel like it's only a matter of time before somebody you work with gets sick? Yeah. Shoot. How it's going and it's on the news and spreading so wide. I wouldn't be surprised if, someone, if the news pop up and say somebody is sick within the next week or two. I could be walking around with a coworker right now and they probably have it. We don't know that they have it. So, so when you're cleaning planes, is this what you're thinking about all the time? If it's an international, then yes. I'm thinking, like, why you have to clean this plane? And I'm trying not to stress on it too hard. And I can't totally tell. How worried are you? Uh, shoot, I'm very worried, but I still got to work and get my money. <laughs> you know, I got to survive, yes, but I am very worried about it. Stress on it because I am pregnant. Right now, as I'm saying these words to you, dozens of people have already died in our country. But somehow it still feels like the calm before the storm. For now, it's like streets are a little emptier, store shelves are emptier. Some people are working from home, some schools closed, other schools, everybody's waiting to hear if they're going to be caught off. Things are not as awful as they're certainly going to get. So we're all waiting for it to get awful, with no idea of how awful that's going to be. If I had to say what this feels like. I think to me what this feels like is 
I don't know, the only experience I've ever had like this is sort of like waiting for medical results, trying to find out how bad things are going to be, but like on a global scale. We're going to be documenting more about coronavirus in upcoming shows, but for today's show, we thought we would stick to this one part of things, this low hum of menace. Here in our staff, we were talking about when else does somebody actually feel that feeling? We found some examples of that to share with you. And that's going to be our show today. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. Stay with us. Daquan, do you hear what I hear? So this first story is about a recording that captures this exact thing today's program is about, that low hum of menace. The recording was made secretly by a woman trying to catch a man who'd been harassing her. Heads up to listeners, the story is about sexual harassment, so there is some sexual content to this. One thing I have to say that's interesting about this recording and the man's behavior in it is how understated it is. He doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't overtly threaten. But he just gets his point across. Also interesting, uh, the woman who made the recording, her name is Kristen Sellers. Years later, uh, today, when she hears this recording, she hears it very differently than she did at the time. It raises a whole set of questions she didn't think about much back then. Reporter Jessica Lassenhop met Kristen years ago, putting together a story for the BBC. Here's Jessica. The recording's just 10 minutes long. The man Kristen was trying to record was her home inspector. This was back in 2012. At the time, she didn't have a cell phone, so she borrowed one from her friend. Can you just sort of, like, explain how you made this recording in the first place? Okay. <clears throat> I had on, um, like, some, you know, around-the-house cleanup clothing, like uh, baggy clothing, you know. So I had a phone, and I took the phone, and um, I re- put it in my uh, shirt, put it in, I think it was like my bra strap or something, sitting some type of way, odd. Because of the phone under the shirt secured by a bra strap, the recording is hard to hear. Hiding the phone there... Kristen's nervous. She gives herself a task, raking the yard, as she waits for Eric Pender to pull up. He is who she wants to record. She's kind of afraid of him, but she's focused on all the things anyone making this kind of recording might be. She wants to stay calm, not look suspicious, act natural. And most importantly, she wants to get audio of Eric Pender harassing her, so she has undeniable proof. Eric Pender's red truck pulls up and parks on the street. There was a long driveway, so I'm in a, like, a wooded area. Ain't no whole bunch of houses near me or nothing, and he was walking up. But I was still raking, you know, like, you know, doing both. And he was coming up towards me, and I was kind of trying to turn the other way. That's when he kind of got real close, and he was like, you know, I'm... Uh, you know, Miss Ellis, you need to be careful of who you talk to. I mean, I'm not worried about me. Be careful who you talk to. I'm not worried about me. You know, if there's somebody you think that you can trust, then I'm just letting you know you probably can't trust. But if there's somebody you think you can trust, then I'm just letting you know you probably can't trust them. He basically was saying I need to watch what I'm saying to people and how I'm talking to them. And, you know, I'm like, what am I saying to people? You know, trying to put the face on of, you know, I'm not saying nothing to nobody. Like, what are you talking about, you know? How far away is he from you when he's... Probably like how me and her is right now. My producer, Robin, she's about two feet away. This recording is the fourth time Kristen had spoken to Eric Pender. Ever. Oh, I already know how people is, man. All right, look, you need to 
I'm super nervous and nothing like I'm so nervous at that point like I was shaking and I couldn't believe he didn't see it like it was like a tremble in me that I just was trying to hold on to the rake as hard as I could so that he wouldn't see the tremble in me you know what I mean were you making eye contact with him I really was like you know down to the rake down to the rake it was like if I was somebody else, the way I was raking in the same spot, <laughs> like I would have been like, what is she doing? You know, but I was still in the same spot because I was scared to move. You know, I was just nervous, you know. The house Eric Pender was coming to inspect wasn't Christian's yet. It was a house she was hoping to move into with her three kids. The only thing she needed to move in was his signature on a form. She needs this house. Just two weeks earlier, Kristen was staying at her mom's, just home from a prison stint. She served six months for a probation violation. She was looking for a house for her and her kids. If you needed a Section 8 voucher in Laurenburg, a small town in a rural area of North Carolina, one of the only places to go was a nonprofit called Four County Community Services. The problem was, the only house they were willing to give her was a house no one else seemed to want. Kristen was like, okay, I'm not picky. They had a house, and they said that house in particular was abandoned. And if I was to uh, clean that house out, that I would go ahead and be able to move in the house and wouldn't have to pay a deposit. They actually called the landlord, and they would pay the first month's rent, I think. That's how it went, yeah. So if she cleaned the house, it'd be hers. But cleaning the house, she'd come to learn, was a big project. It was a three-bedroom house with a dining room and den, and all the rooms were filled with junk. It smelled awful. There were roaches, lots of poop. The neighbors had told me that's why it was so many feces and stuff in the house, because they had left the dog. And then finally, I guess the dog either died or left, and they got it out. I don't know. But by the time I got there, I just was there with the leftover, you know, the house being full of clothing and uh, food in the cabinets. It was all this other stuff. It was just horrible. She cleaned and cleaned. She had a list of tasks that she'd been given from the nonprofit. It took weeks, like maybe a Two weeks or so, three weeks, maybe more than that. I can't even really remember, remember. I just remember going a lot of times doing it. Well, I called down there and they sent the inspector out. Um, I thought, you know, I had everything done that was my duty to do. Eric Pender showed up. He was the housing inspector for Four County. He's a tall man, older, light-skinned black man with a taste for cowboy boots and belts, khakis. Pender was there to review Kristen's work. If she passed his inspection, she'd get approved to move in. Anyway, he was like, you need to have a, um, a man to help you. Why you don't have a boyfriend and all this? And then I'm like, you know, I don't have one because I'm just coming home from prison. I'm trying to get on my feet for my kids. I'm trying to explain to him. And he was like, but you have, if you had a man here, a man could get this stuff done. And I'm like, I did it. What are you asking me to do? This talk of men quickly turned explicit. Kristen said he asked her about her sex life, if she'd performed oral sex before. And I was like, what? You know, I was totally thrown. And he was like, you know, because you ever had men to take you out to dinner and stuff. And then I had told him, you know, yeah, I have. And he was like, well, you t having people take you out to dinner, that's what they were paying you for. They were paying you for sex. He said, let's say your rent $600 times 12 months. Her rent was $600 a month. So, to be clear, he was laying out her exact situation. He proposed sex with him as a kind of home insurance policy that Pender valued at over a year's worth of rent. 
And he was like, that's way over $6,000. My signature is over $6,000, so you'll be having sex for six. You know, basically, that's he said it. He mapped it out just like that. Did he even acknowledge that you had cleaned the whole house? He didn't. He didn't want to. He wanted to let me know that I still had stuff to do. I'm stuck because I'm know I'm in here with this man, and I'm like, you know, he got, he can sign this paper, and he cannot sign this paper. He can say whatever, and my word against him, you know, is what. So at this time, I'm like, you know, who, what do I do? I, I just don't know. So I just knew to try to keep a distance between me and him as much as I could. Pender toured the house with Kristen following behind him. He starts pointing to stuff that wasn't Kristen's responsibility to clean up that wasn't on the list that the nonprofit gave her. Broken mirrors, a broken toilet. That's where he was telling me the toilet needed fixing. And he kind of pulled me by the hip in the in the bathroom, and he pulled himself out in front of me. What? Yeah, he pulled himself out, and I looked down, and I looked up, and I kind of like, you know, I need to get out, find a way out. So I kind of got out, out the bathroom. And he's blocking you. He's in yeah, the bathroom door, and you're in yeah. the bathroom and can't get out. Yeah. And he exposes himself yeah. to you. Definitely. He was like, you know what to do. You know what I'm saying? You know if you want this house, you know what you got to do. You know, that's what he was saying at that point. She says the only thing she was sure of was that there was no way she was going to do what he wanted. Ever. She managed to push past him, gets him to leave. He doesn't sign the form. It was overwhelming. I broke down because I felt like when you in situations like I was in... um, you feel kind of like you got low self-esteem already, you know. And so um, dealing with that situation is just kind of like you just feel like, you know, that's what he look at you like. That's Is that how men look at you like, you know. And so um, it's just like, you know, I'm going to say whatever to her because she is who she is. Kristen did not go to the police. She thought it was her word against his and that because of her record, she wouldn't be believed. She thought she needed to bolster her claim in some way, collect some evidence or something. She called a private investigator, wondering if they could surveil him, but they were too expensive. The private investigator she talked to gave her this tip. North Carolina is a one-party consent state, meaning it was legal for Kristen to record him, try to get proof, without his permission. But your friends know enough to hurt you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They know Which brings us back to the recording Kristen made on that Sunday in April, back in 2012. Pender's coming back, ostensibly, to inspect the house. He still hasn't signed the form she needs to move in. Remember, Kristen is trying to record Pender propositioning her. But when he walks up, he's not doing that. He starts talking about his job at the housing office how he is in charge of handling complaints. You know, anytime I deal with a complaint, the complaints come to me all the time. He says, anytime I deal with a complaint, he's talking to you about a complaint. Do you know what he's talking about? He was saying that somebody told his boss that I said that he was, you know, making advances and bothering me. But she hadn't. She'd only told a few people in that private investigator about Pender. Confused, Kristen tries to play it off. Are you sure? I'm positive. He won't bore me. I 
just can't see that now. Just don't stir it up. Don't say nothing. I'm just telling you, me and somebody's in your business. The sum of all this for Kristen, she's realizing that telling her housing office about Pender filing an actual complaint is out of the question. Instead of calling me, they call him and tell him everything instead of calling me saying, is this happening to you? So at that point, you know, you you know that nobody on your side. Now, the people that's close to you know that you got a task ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I don't see them. It's a weird recording because Eric Pender says things that sound simultaneously like a threat and like they could be the advice of someone who's protective and caring. Pender had what Kristen considered a supreme confidence, where he could finesse words, make insults sound flowery and innocent. It's like, to me, he was just trying to make me his friend, and I was trying to keep myself afloat in the conversation while I was feeling like I was drowning at the same time, you know? For example, as she's raking, Pender starts lecturing her about her kids. You really should have your kids over here, too. Yeah. No, I mean, but they're not here. They, well, they well, don't be I'm just saying, if they were, if they were here, yeah. you should have them here raking in this yard. Yeah. And you got a son, right? Mm-hmm. This is part of being a man. When mm-hmm. I was coming up, my mama, that's how I learned to work in my yard. Yeah. It's a part of that growing up process. Yeah. I don't know where his daddy fits in his life, but you got to give him these two. Look, you know, you tell, what's his name? Little man, look, you know, you're going to be a man one day. You're going to need to know how to change a tire. You're going to need to know how to light the grill. You're going to need to know how to All Kristen can think is, this is not what she was hoping to get recorded. I didn't think none of this was going to work because I was like, I'm used to him coming saying, you know, you're going to have sex, you're going to do this, you know, being very blunt on what he wants and why he wants it and when I'm going to do it and what I get for doing it. When I'm recording something that's like, uh, you know, all over the place. So I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. So that's, that's how I felt. At that point. But also, all that advice about how she should raise her kids. He's arrogant and he he's I, like, I'm beneath, you know. And in his mind, he could say what he want to say to me no matter who was involved. You're beneath me, so I know how to raise your children. Now, you're beneath me, so I know how to get you in this house. And you're beneath me, so I can help you. You know, like, everything was, like, talking down or, or making me feel like I'm not enough or I'm not a good enough mom or, you know, everything was to try to belittle, belittle me into nothing. Pender keeps talking, but not about home inspection. He still doesn't explicitly proposition Kristen, like the first time that they met. He's suggestive, though. He mentions, for no apparent reason, how women need to stop acting like they don't know how they got pregnant. He goes further. He reminds Kristen how he came by her house and, quote, asked her for some. And seeing how I came by and asked you for some anyway. But I said, well, damn, maybe, you know, and then I start thinking, I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe because you like women, maybe I should never even approach you. So I'm not like no women. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know what you like. I don't this is like my it. first, second time even seeing y'all. So what if I was gay? You know what I'm saying? Like, so what? Like, like, why would you use that against me? You know what I'm saying? But he would do that. Anything that he felt 
could be a target to hit you in a way to make you feel like, oh, I got to prove him I'm not this. Then he would use that. Did you feel like he was trying to make you angry? Yeah. Right. That's yeah, I did. I felt like he was like trying to make me give in to say, you know, no, I'm not like that. I'll, I'll do it to prove it or something. He hints at making a deal with her to help her with her housing, but doesn't spell out what she'd have to do in that deal. Kristen keeps recording. He reminds her that he has a lot of authority and can help her. I do have some um, discrepancy on how I enforce enforce the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be a situation your power might be off. Now, you know, you got 48 hours sometimes your power off. I'm coming, you know, I'm coming back in three days instead of two. That's going to give you an extra day to get your power back on, so forth and so on. Yeah. I want, That's I want back to, to what I know. The previous conversations, when he do acts for sex and all that, that's how he get to that. Is I'm helping you, so let me tell you what you got to do to get the help. So that tone is what I was used to. So when he got to that calm place, I'm like, here you go. You know, finna try to make me feel like he's helping me because if I have sex, I have somewhere to stay for having sex forever. You know, and like he's getting ready to go into that. You know, I want you to do such and such. I did. At that point, I really knew like, okay, it's coming. But it doesn't come. Pender instead brings up the most on-topic, housing inspection-related subject of his visit, the barn. There's this little barn-type shed in Kristen's backyard. It's filled with garbage, and Kristen had put snake repellent around the outside of it to keep snakes, if there were any, trapped inside. Pender says, I'd get that barn cleaned out. You know, get this barn cleaned out, I'm going to say something. Now, he, he said that he was, uh, he, he, clean up because the guys that was here, he's paying them. Pender starts listing all the things she could use the barn for. Card games, an escape from the kids. He's suddenly singly focused on the potential greatness of a rundown barn. You know, you can keep stuff in that barn. You and your friends want to have a card game away from the kids. You got the windows in it, just that one window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can go in the barn and you see how the window in the barn and say, we can go in the barn and you can have a, this here. You know, it was just like the more he was describing, the closer he was trying to get to the barn. Like he was trying to find a way to get me there. And mind you, we outside. So I guess him trying to do anything that would probably be the best place for him. Pender keeps insisting she go in the barn with him. Kristen keeps avoiding it. She won't go. She finally says, if I see a snake in there, I'm going to pass out and die. They made that right, so he mailed him a check. Yeah, I would certainly take, even if you had to do it, I would take me two bags at a time. He mailed him a check for them to do it. I'm not going to hear the snake. I've been passed out dying. Oh, I, I felt like if I would have went in that barn, he definitely, you know, it it would have been okay for him in his mind that she's saying, okay, you know, and I knew I wasn't going in there, so. It seems to work. Pender backs off slowly. They have one less back and forth. He starts to walk away. Says, all right, then. We straight. All right, well, we straight. All righty. Finally, he says the most damning thing he said in the whole recording. Well, we almost straight. You'll take care of me later on. Kristen stopped recording. She worried immediately that what she'd recorded wasn't enough, and if it wasn't, that she was stuck right where she started, her house hanging in the lurch. She felt desperate. How is this going to be over? When is going to be over? Him saying, I still got to take care of him. It was just like, so this ain't going to be over until I do it. 
in his head is that's what it is, you know. So I have sex with him. This isn't over. That's not over. And in my mind, I knew that he had to come and expect every year. Every year. And him having to expect every year, that means I had to have some kind of sexual thing with him for him to approve it every year. I just was praying that that recording was enough proof that he's been doing it, you know. So I just didn't know if I had enough proof. This recording kicked off a pretty remarkable series of events. Kristen used it to file a criminal charge against Eric Pender. He was convicted of simple assault, but appealed and got the case dropped. She also played the recording for a young lawyer who didn't even have an office yet, or know for sure if what Kristen was describing was illegal. But he listened to the tape, believed her, and took the case. Kristen's lawyer filed a civil suit, and a local paper ran a story about it. More and more women started coming forward with stories about Eric Pender and Pender's boss, John Wesley, who was also asking for sex in exchange for vouchers. The case grew from three women to eight, and then to 16. Six of the women went along with the men's sexual demands. One of them lost her housing anyway. The lawsuit ran on for years, which became its own form of punishment for Kristen, because Eric Pender was still her home inspector. He continued working for them. At one point, he tried to cancel Kristen's voucher, Her lawyers blocked it. The case was moved from state to federal court. Department of Justice lawyers got involved. Kristen got called all the names. Liar, felon, opportunist. Once in a grocery store, a woman Kristen barely knew approached her. She really felt adamant on telling me, you're messing this up. You know, you're messing up how we get our vouchers, you know. And... That's she was saying we, like, like not just me, yeah, so a bunch of us. I kind of understood when she said this to me. It just kind of hit me on how he, they were able to do it for so long, how he was so, like, you know, confident. Because look at how this woman feel. There aren't any good numbers on how common sexual harassment is in housing situations. No one seems to be tracking it. In July of 2015, three years after Kristen made the recording, the federal lawsuit ended. Four counties settled with the Department of Justice. Pender and Wesley were banned from working in Section 8 or renting or managing any property permanently. Neither admitted to any wrongdoing. Both denied all the allegations against them. I reached out to Pender and Wesley for this story. Wesley didn't call me back. I called Pender's lawyer, tried previous addresses, called old numbers, and his ex-wife. No one knew where he was. Four County didn't respond either. They've changed their name since. The women were awarded a $2.7 million settlement, the largest sexual harassment and housing settlement in U.S. history at the time. Ultimately, the number of victims in the suit was 87. Kristen's recording was evidence of Pender's behavior. But now, years later, when she listens to it, she hears it very differently than she did at the time. What she hears is herself, who she is in that recording. She hears how small she becomes around him. And she's thought about the recording a lot. When I first called her in November to see if she might be willing to talk to me for this story, 
Almost immediately, she said, I'm glad you brought this up. She told me she'd never talked it through with anyone the way she's always wanted to. I visited Kristen in the house she moved to right after the case settled, a three-bedroom in Greensboro where she lives with her two youngest kids. I played the recording for her. She hadn't heard it in years. Even listening to it, I'm like, God, you could have said this. You could have said that. You could have did this. I beat myself up for some of that, you know? Really? Yeah, because I feel like I could have, you know, argued more or something, you know? And and I know that it did have a good outcome, but I just feel like if I would have told him, you know, more. And sometimes I wish I would have just told him off. I do beat myself up for some some little things. The way she dealt with Eric Pender, she says, is something lots of women do with men, particularly men who have power over them. She laughs, deflects, pretends, tells half-truths, demures, changes the subject, bites her tongue, smiles too much, agrees too much, hides her anger, hides all her emotions, buries her personality. It's so familiar, I asked every woman I talked to in this lawsuit about it and then nearly every woman in my life about it. As we talked, Kristen and I started calling it the tactic. The tactic come in place when it's somebody who has control or somebody who's I have to see on a regular basis and they're affecting my livelihood. Because you're like, my dream is on the other side of that person. You know what I'm saying? My, my livelihood is on the other side of this person. So if I try to tear this person down, then they can stop me from reaching it. You know what I'm saying? When do you when do you think you learned it? Like when do you think you what's the first memory you have of of trying to use this as a strategy to get through a difficult situation? I had um a certain family member, um, they would do things to hurt me, but I I didn't want them to hurt me. So I knew I gotta be in the same house with him for a certain period of time. This family member abused Kristen both physically and sexually until she was about 12 years old. As a kid, she never told anybody. Being in low-income families, a lot of people shelter these things because it would cause more pain to the family. We're already struggling. We're already going through this. We're already going through that. So why would I put more on the family? You know what I mean? Then you also have the fact that, you know, that's an, it's embarrassing. Um, and what if don't nobody believe you? You know, you got all those things. So it just it seems better to shelter it. She didn't start using these tactics with Eric Pender, and she didn't stop using them after him. In the years since the lawsuit, Kristen said she found herself in a job where, again, someone in a higher position than her started making sexually explicit comments to her. She was afraid to offend him, so she used the tactic, made up an excuse to redirect him. She told him, I'm not for you, I'm too crazy, and you should steer clear of me. Not long after, Kristen says the guy walked right up behind her and grabbed her breast. Kristen quit that day, walked out, never went back. She told me, I can't file a federal lawsuit every time something like this happens to me. So like I said, Kristen's thought about the recording with Eric Pender and how she handled him in the recording a lot over the years. I asked her, after all this, if you could go back to when you first met Eric Pender, what do you wish you'd have said? 
Oh yeah. Now on that note, <laughs> on that note, yeah. I just I wish I could have just looked at him and say, you know, Mister Pender, I'm not interested in you. I don't want you in no type of way, form or fashion. I don't want to have no dealings with you for a voucher here now or forevermore. <laughs> you know, I don't want you know no dealings with you, and I wish you would just stop asking me. Because to me, I felt like he didn't think I could complete a sentence like that. And if I would have said it to him like that, maybe he would have been like, wow, well, you know, she she talked a little bit better than I thought. You know, that would have been the best thing for me to be able to say it to him in a way where it's like, OK, you're not beneath me. I mean, I'm not beneath you. You know, we're eye to eye here. Just the other day, Kristen told me she has a new tactic. She used it with a guy at her work who kept trying to tell her these sexual jokes. Kristen was not having it. In a room full of people, with her boss watching, she tried her new move, and it worked. He backed off. She said to the guy, Google me, because I will record you. Jessica Lassenhop. Coming up, idle chit-chat about a dog with an FBI agent can feel very threatening. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio when our program continues. It's American Life from Ira Glass. Okay, so it's March 2020, and in this week of schools closing and people being quarantined and the NBA and Disneyland and Broadway all shutting down, and still not enough tests out there to even begin to figure out how far coronavirus has spread, we have stories about moments when people feel a low hum of menace a sense that things might get much worse, and it is not clear how much worse that means. We've arrived at Act 2 of our program, Act 2, reality show. So uh, the first act of our program today was about a man who was breaking the rules. This act is about men enforcing rules. In this case, it's FBI agents. They're questioning a suspect. This interrogation happened in June 2017. It's a real interrogation that happened. The suspect was an NSA contractor named Reality Winner. The FBI actually uh, denied our request for the recording of this. They said it was not sufficiently in the public interest. Fortunately for us, theater director Tina Satter says she read the transcript of what was said and thought, this is a play, a thriller. This woman alone in her house, these men who arrive and question her. And Tina Satter put this on stage, more or less verbatim, with actors playing the agents and playing reality winner. Even the most casual small talk between them has this, this air to it. The entire thing uh, on stage takes 70 minutes. We're going to play you an edited-down excerpt. Emily Davis plays reality winner. T.L. Thompson and Pete Simpson play the special agents. Um, Just uh, so you know what's happening, when they get to a word or phrase or sentence that has been redacted in the original FBI transcript, they play this sound. So you can hear that sound now and then. The action starts outside reality winner's home in Augusta, Georgia, and then it moves inside. Here it is. Let's show you who we are. Okay, well, the reason we're here today is that we have a search warrant for your house. Okay. All right. Uh, do you know what this might be about? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, uh, this is uh, about uh, possible mishandling of classified information. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we've got is, uh, again, got a warrant, um, and I'm happy to show it to you. What I'd like to do is uh, sit down and talk, talk with you about it, kind of go over what mm-hmm. what's going on, uh, talk to you, kind of get your... Your side of it, and uh, of course, you completely volunteered to talk to me. Um, we can uh, we can talk here. Uh, our office is about five minutes away. Uh, if you want to, we can 
talk there if you'd rather. Do either one. Makes no difference to me. Okay. Do you have any pets? I do. I've Because you've been gone for a while. Do. So you live by yourself? Yes. Okay. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to go into the house first to make sure it's it's safe. Absolutely. We have a search warrant, so uh, we're, uh, we're, we're going Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And what we'll do is we'll keep you out here until we do that. And uh -huh. once we secure it, well, then we'll kind of go from there, okay? Of course. Is your dog friendly? Okay, so she does not like men. <laughs> okay. Um. So... <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> um, however, and, and she might come towards you. She, she's okay. she's never bitten anybody. She's not aggressive. She's just got, you okay. know, a, a really good growl going. She'll probably just hide under my desk. Okay. okay. So do we have a, a, a leash or a something? Leash. where we can... I can get her leashed up. Okay. So what we might want to do is maybe let you go in there with her. You're not yes, to touch anything else. That. You're not to do yeah, anything else. To get to the, the dog and bring it out yes. here. Are we cool? Because other, otherwise, if we're going to have a problem, we're not going to do that. So. I understand. Okay. Okay. Um. Housekey. Housekey. Okay. Are there any weapons in the car, in the house? In the house, yes. What do you have? I have um, an AR-15. Is it pink? It's pink. How'd you know? Okay. I have a, a Glock 9 under the bed. Okay. And a, um, a, a 15 gauge. Sound like my house. Okay. Okay. We're good then. All right, just don't make any any movements for and, that. And we're, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. kind of obvious. We're all cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, and okay. you won't okay. even... And we'll get a water. You won't we can get her take a water and all that kind of stuff. But let's, let's do that. Yeah, of course. <coughs> Come here, girl. We're going to get the dog and bring all it out. Right, okay, I got her. Get your leash. Uh, uh, I know. I know. There's people out. I want to make this as easy for you guys as possible. Okay, likewise. Just hopefully explain yeah. things and to uh, figure this all out and uh, wrap it up. How long had your dog? Oh, um, she's actually a foster. Um, I'm, actually, I'm rehabilitating her so that hopefully she can get adopted later on. Um, she's actually a rescue. I think I got her. March? Yeah, my uh, one of my dogs was a rescue, and when he, when I got him, he wouldn't. I, I was the only guy oh. <laughs> who could touch him, and this was this was probably well three years. Mm -hmm. Anybody else came in the house, you know, especially male, he'd pee all over the place. But I could touch him, you know? and it was fine. But it's fine. I mean, he's seven years old now. He just comes up to everybody, licks his hand, and he's great. Whoever had him before was a real. Uh, was a real piece of work. All right. So, um, would you like to talk here or talk uh, talk at the office? Oh, let's go ahead and talk here. Okay. You want to talk here? Um, sure. Let's, I'm trying to think uh, if we have any place uh, uh, in the house that um, that we can kind of sit down that's private. Uh, is there anything there? Anything there in the house you can, that we can sit that's kind of away? Uh, away. How, how many? How many rooms? In so, your it's a one bedroom. I do have a spare bedroom that I don't use. That's empty. I don't like to go back there. <laughs> um, I guess I don't have anything that's completely closed okay. off, though. Okay. Except for that, that back room. That back room. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's completely empty? Yeah, you'll go in there. There's one dog kennel cage. Other than that, I don't use the room. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, you said you don't like to go in there? What's... Yeah. Uh, God. Uh, it's just creepy. It's just weird. It's like, 
in addition to the house that's behind the kitchen and it's always dirty and um okay uh we can talk back there if you're fine going back there okay yeah we it's, can go back uh, there so i do have to ask just however mm -hmm. this goes and i'm not making any assumptions or anything like that but is this going to be like a I brought my phone into the building type situation where I don't see my phone for three weeks or. So we'll go over the warrant itself. Okay. So we do have a warrant for the phone. So. I'm not making any assumptions or anything like that. Um, but I do teach yoga tomorrow and phone has music on it. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I get, I can make do. Like there are bigger problems in the world, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we're good. Want to go back here? Yeah, you can go ahead and go back in there. Oh, this room is dirty. I'm That's so okay. sorry. No, not a problem. Fine. Alrighty. Um, so what I want to do is kind of explain that we, uh, you know, do have a search warrant. You're welcome to see the warrant. You're welcome to read the warrant and then explain a little bit about it. Now, if you're willing to talk to me, I'd like to go through just kind of how this started. Sound good to you? Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm going to take uh, right here. I'm going to take uh, notes. Where were you born? Alice, Texas. Alice, like? Like, like the girl's name? Like, yeah. Like the name, okay. And uh, currently you're employed as a, as a contract uh, linguist with uh, Pluribus? Yes. Okay, how long have you been employed by them? I started 9 February 2017. Okay, and where are you currently assigned? Currently assigned, like uh, the NSA 21 you can, code? You can tell me the building. Okay. Uh, yeah. White Law Building, okay. second floor. So. I'm sorry, what languages you said I heard? Farsi, uh, Dari, Pashto. Okay. Okay, any other? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Um, all this uh, stems from a report that we received that you had mishandled classified information, okay? So that's uh, the broad scope of it. Uh, my uh, question to you is, does that ring any bells to you whatsoever? It, it does now. When I started working at White Law, I had, do you know PKI passwords? Mm -hmm. I had a printed out email in my folder and I, I didn't have a desk yet, so I took it with me, passed through security, went to Starbucks, and then came back and they looked through it and unfortunately, the email that I had printed out was classified and they filed a report for that. And you had gone to Starbucks, come back, and they, they, they checked a bag? or they, they, they checked my folder. If you're familiar with White Law, you go through the turnstiles just okay. to get to the cafeteria you, and back. You, you, you had gone to the cafeteria? Yeah. So, so, so you were in the building, yeah. and they, they nabbed you? Mm -hmm, for, yeah. Okay, all right. But you're still in the building? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So um, what uh, what's your work role there at, uh, at White Law? Currently, I translate graphic documents and... Then, yeah, that's all okay. I do, from Farsi to English. Graphic documents? Yeah. Okay. When did you process out of the Air Force? I processed out of the Air Force December, <laughs> December 14, 2016, 
And up until that time, I had been looking at contracts to try to get my uh, clearance renewed. Okay. Well, and when did, uh, when did uh, Pluribus pick you up? Pluribus picked me up. I believe they gave me the notification around January 11th between 11th and 13th around that day. Okay, all right, so your, your clearance just kind of passed through. It passed through, yeah. Okay, so as far as you're aware, you haven't committed any security violations or anything that you're aware of other than other this than the PKI, PKI thing. thing. No, I mean, I do print out documents at work um, just because it's easier for me to translate them by hand. Mm -hmm. But then I put them in the bin box and then they don't get mixed up with like my class notes that I take because they are like, I use pretty paper. So I never take out white paper. Mm, um, we all, because I know that sounds really dumb, but that's just how I can do it now. After that whole PKI thing, I was like, no more white paper out of the building. Okay, so you 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 said you printed out stuff. Yeah, I printed is out there, uh, stuff. Is there a uh, why that come to mind as far as security? Um, it just, I guess it all. I just think about having you know, actual papers. I can't imagine any other way to get things out of the building, I guess. And I'm old fashioned, so I'm just thinking about that. And especially with the PKI thing, just making sure I didn't accidentally have something in my lunchbox or anything like that. Nothing got out of the building? Nothing. You didn't carry anything out of the building? No, no, I definitely let everything get searched all of the time, so I haven't had any other accidents. Okay. Have you ever gone gone searching for stuff that's not related um, to, your, to your work role? No. Not unless I have someone in Maryland ask me a question. Okay. Um, and I mean, you kind of already answered this, but have you ever taken anything out of the uh, NSA facility? I mean, you I, mentioned the PKI, yes. but have you ever taken anything out of the facility? No. No? Whether it's a piece of paper. You ever downloaded anything? Ever emailed anything out? No. No? Okay. Hmm. Have you ever uh, discussed uh, any classified material with anybody who uh, wouldn't have the prior U.S. government authorization? No. No? Okay. Not many people ask about Iranian aerospace, so <laughs> I left out. So you never discussed uh, discussed any work or anything classified with anybody? Uh-uh. I use a lot of paper, but never anything outside of Iranian and anything else out of that, and never outside of the building. Okay, reality. What if I said that I had the information to suggest that you did print out stuff that was outside of that scope? Okay, I'll, I would have to remember. Okay. What if uh, I said you printed out information that was related to uh, reports on reality? Uh, we obviously know a lot more than we're telling you at this point. And I think you know a lot more than you're telling us at this point. I don't want you to go down the wrong road. I think you need to stop and think about what you're saying and what you're doing. Because telling a, mm -hmm. telling a lie to an FBI agent is not going to be the right thing. You know, again, we are 
here voluntarily, you're talking voluntarily. I'm not asking you, forcing you to do anything. But think. That's what I'm asking you to do, is to think. So think about what he just asked. And like, you know. There was one I printed out because I wanted to read it. Can you remember what day you printed it out? I might mess up the late Mar early first two weeks. First of April. two weeks of April. Mm -hmm. And what was it? It was a it was an NSA Pulse article about in <coughs> yeah I did I did print that one out. Okay. Um. Why uh Why did you print that one out? I did, I wanted to read it, and the way I had downloaded it, it was just hard for me to read, and I wanted to just look at it because it looks like a piece of history. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have that on my desk for like a day, and. Yeah. What'd you do with that article? I kept it on my desk for like three days. And then I burn bagged it in the box that has the slats on it by the fridge. How about any other times? Any other time? Did you search for anything on the any other times? Uh, um, that did spark my curiosity. So I just kept tabs on reading those articles. Looking at that was interesting mm -hmm, to me. Mm -hmm. So I did read some. Some of those. Okay, did you print out any of those articles? Did you ever go searching for them, ever go digging? Uh, nothing more than like a 10 minute detraction from work, okay. you know? Okay, what, uh, what were you, uh, how would you do it? Just type in the search box and scroll. Okay, all right, did you print out any of those articles? Um, uh, no, the, the only one was just the one that was like, Okay, and you're pretty sure it was late April, early March. Think, think about, try to remember like personal details. I in know, your life, I, I'm okay? trying to. So I remember, I remember that week. Got into a fight with a boyfriend that week. It had to have been sometime in April. I'm just, I'm trying to think what week, what weekend after that was like. I'm sorry. I'm no, trying, it's okay. I'm trying. Um, just like. Yeah, like mid-April is like all I'm thinking. Okay, all right. What if I told you that I know you searched for and printed out a document on the 9th of May? 9th of May? I guess I can't argue okay. that. I mean, if you know, I mean, obviously you know. Okay. This would have been three and a half, four weeks ago, mm -hmm. roughly. Yeah. Do you remember what uh, how you what you did to get to the article? Other than seeing it on the front page or linking it from another. Do you another, remember what I'm search terms you might have put in? Uh, probably, I'm not very sophisticated. Okay, so you printed out the, the doc. You printed out a document, an uh, intelligence report on this. You you do recall that? Yeah, you know, I do uh, remember okay. now. Okay. Yes. So what did you do with that document? Like I said, I kept it on my desk for a couple of days because I thought that it was interesting and I thought that I would read it. And then I said, no, and I need to not keep this out on my desk. So I put it in the burn bin. You put it in the burn bag, okay. Yeah. All right, reality, are you sure that's what you did with it? Yes. Are you positive? Yes. You didn't take it out of the building? No. Okay, you didn't take it out of the building, give it to anybody else? No. You didn't send it? No. You didn't send it to anybody? No. Okay. Reality, uh, can you guess 
how many people might have printed out that document? That's no. <laughs> not too many. That document has made it outside, okay? Obviously, because we're here. Yeah. Obviously. Crap. The most likely candidate, by far and away, is you. I don't think you are, you know, a big bad master spy, okay? I don't. I don't think that. But I think you might have been angry over everything that's been going on, politics-wise. Can't turn on the TV without getting pissed off. Or at least I can. And I think you might have made a mistake. Now, why I'm here and why I want to talk to you is to figure out the why behind this, okay? So I ask you again, did you take it out and send it? I didn't. I put it in the burn bag. I mean, I'm trying to deploy. I'm not trying to be a whistleblower. That's crazy. So how do you think a document like that would end up getting out? I mean, I let's, let's be straight. I mean, there's little to no security on documents. Okay, but you said you remember. You remember putting, putting it in the, in the burn bag. It's just sliding it in there. Folded in half. I mean, I remember it. Folded in half? Yeah, because it, it didn't... Yeah, folded it in half. Okay. What if I told you that that document folded in half, made its way outside NSA. I, I don't know that. Yeah, made its way out in an envelope postmarked Augusta, Georgia. See, things are getting a little specific. Okay. okay. Made its way to an online news source that you subscribe to. Getting really specific. Would you agree? Looks awfully bad. It looks really bad. So how'd you get it out of the office? <laughs> Folded in half in my pantyhose. Okay. And what'd you do with it? Put it in an envelope and sent it to... That day, that week, it was just too much to sit back and watch and think, why do I have this job if I'm just going to sit back and be helpless? And it, it just, sorry. I just thought that that was the final straw. You know, it was just something that, that just kind of <coughs> did it. Because you don't seem like the type to do this. I, I believe it. I want to believe it. I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I want to go out with our special forces. I mean, that's why I got out of the Air Force. That's why I'm here in Augusta. I wanted my clearance back so I could apply for a deployment. And it was just at a time when I wasn't applying for any deployments. And I had, you know, seven or eight months left of a job that didn't mean anything to me because it's Iran and I'm a Pashto linguist. Like, what am I doing translating Farsi? And it just, it, I just felt really hopeless in seeing that information that had been contested back and forth and back and forth in the public domain for so long, trying to figure out with everything else that keeps getting leaked and keeps getting released, why isn't this getting out? Why isn't this getting out there? Why can't this be public?
actors Emily Davis, T.L. Thompson, and Pete Simpson. As you may know, this is all in the news. The document that Reality Winner leaked to the website The Intercept was an intelligence report confirming Russian hacking in the 2016 election. She's still serving her five-year sentence. Sound and design and music for the stage production by Sanaa Yamada and Jimin Brelsford. Tina Satter's theatrical adaptation of the FBI transcript is called Is This a Room? They have a tour scheduled. Information at halfstraddle.com. Our program was produced today by Nadia Raymond. The people who put together today's show includes Ben Matawunmi, Susan Burton, Ben Calhoun, Dana Chivas, Sean Cole, Nor Gill, Damian Grave, Michelle Harris, Hannah Joffrey Walt, Seth Lynn, Miki Meek, Lena Masitsi, Stone Nelson, Ben Phelan, Robin Semyon, Lily Sullivan, Christopher Sotala, and Matt Tierney. Our managing editor is Diane Wu. Our executive editor is David Kestenbaum. Special thanks today to Kelly Clark, Craig Hensel, Kendra Hanna, Kendra Monroe, Madeline Ball, Andrew Hagelshaw, and Maria Hernandez. Our website, thisamericanlife.org. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the public radio exchange. And I will end this show about the low hum of menace with this very um, theme-appropriate program note. Just a few hours ago, as um, I was doing some last editing on the show, I learned that a few days ago I shook hands with somebody who now has symptoms of coronavirus, whose wife is a confirmed case. So the plan is I am going into quarantine myself. I want to leave the studio today, and we are shutting down our office as everybody in our office was already working from home. I just want to say I feel fine. Hopefully I'll stay that way between now and next time I talk to you. Um, you know, avoid contact with others as much as you can. Stay well and um, wash your hands, okay? And by the way, if you're tired of reciting the happy birthday song twice as you wash, turns out one chorus of the song, Stayin' Alive, is the perfect length. And, you know, whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother... Just stay alive. Stay alive.